The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, preached on September 11, 2011, based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit brings us our Savior and strengthens our love for him is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, the first lesson. Please listen to verse 6 once again. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. You didn't have to guess what she was feeling. When she was happy, her smile beamed bright. When she was sad, her eyes drooped. Embarrassment changed her cheeks to bright red. And uh, anger furled her brows. She wore her heart on her sleeve, as the saying goes. Some people keep their feelings secret, like a poker player keeping his hand close to his chest. Others wear their heart on their sleeves. God has made us differently. But when it comes to our faith, dear friends, that's not something we want to keep secret like a poker hand. Rather, dear Christian, wear your faith on your sleeve. That begins on the inside. But it's something that Moses talks about here. Wear your faith on your sleeve. That's a key idea that we see in these words of Moses that you heard in the first lesson here today. And it's also an important part of passing our faith on to the next generation, to our children and their children. So let's use that as the theme here. Wear your heart, or wear your faith on your sleeve. Like I said, that begins on the inside. So in your heart, know in whom you believe. And then in your life, pass that faith on to the next generation. Those are the two parts here today. Now, when the Holy Spirit gave these words to Moses to speak and then write down, Moses was 120 years old. He had been leading the people of Israel for 40 years. Those great miracles, those plagues in Egypt that had happened 40 years earlier... Most of these people were not around for them. They had not yet been born when the Lord rescued them from Egypt and brought them through the waters of the Red Sea. They weren't there at Sinai when he came down in thunder and lightning, smoke and fire. But soon, soon they would enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. And soon Moses, the only leader that many of them had ever known, would be taken from them. And so much of Deuteronomy is Moses parting words and instructions to the people of Israel. And as he speaks to them, he wears his faith on his sleeve, for he knows the one in whom he believes. And we have an excellent summary of that faith in the opening verse of the text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And let's just focus on, on a 
phrase from there, the Lord our God. For those few words also are an excellent summary of our faith. Now, the word Lord is not your normal Hebrew word for Lord. And the translation shows that by using all capital letters here. This is that special Hebrew word that the true God chose to use to reveal himself. This is the name by which he makes himself known. And sometimes it's put into English as Jehovah or Yahweh, as you see on the second banner there. It means that he is the I Am, the eternal God who does not change. He is independent of everything. He is constant and perfectly consistent, for he does not need anyone or anything. He does not depend on anyone or anything. He is the Lord. And what does that mean for us? Well, since he is the Lord, he can freely make his promises since he is independent to act according to his good pleasure and will. And secondly, he faithfully keeps his promises because he is consistent, constant, unchanging. He is the Lord. What great grace and love is in that name. And yet those who despise and reject that grace, the Lord is also consistent in his holiness to punish sin with death and damnation. He is the Lord. But now, dear friends, now we have the great wonder in those words here. As we hear the Lord, our God. Just think about that. The Lord, who does not need you or me or anything else, tells us mortal, sinful human beings to call him our God. Why would he want to claim people like you and me? Why would he give us this great privilege to call him ours, our God? Well, let's ask why he told the people of Israel to do this. Why did he want them to call him their God? And it becomes very clear here that it has nothing to do with how good or how bad these people were. If you recall the Bible history of their time in the wilderness, you realize that no, there was nothing in these people to attract God to them. That's, there was nothing in them that would lead God to want them to call him their God. And Moses makes that clear to them as well in many places in Deut- Deuteronomy. One of them is in chapter 9 when he tells them, Understand then that this is, this is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. So why then? Why were they to call him their God? Why would he claim them as his people? Because of his promises. The promises he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. And those promises he freely made by his own free will and choice, not because of anything in Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob either. It was because of his gracious promises that he had rescued these people from Egypt, claiming them as his very own and Because of his promises, he had made his covenant with them at Mount Sinai and would soon bring them into the promised land. Yes, dear friends, because of his promises, for he is the Lord who freely makes his promises and faithfully keeps them. 
And through these people, he would keep his greatest promise. The promise he had not made not only to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also to, to Adam and Eve, to Noah, and throughout the ages. The promise to send a Savior, a rescuer much greater than Moses. A Savior not only for these people, but for you and me as well. For he is the Lord who keeps his promises. What great grace he has shown you and me. That even though he is the Lord, far above all, yet he has us address him as our God. For you, too, for you see, we too were slaves. Not slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but slaves to sin and Satan. But the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, rescued you and me. He redeemed you with the price of his own life, measured with his blood and his God-forsaken cry from the cross. He redeemed you to be his very own, so that he is your Lord and you are his people. Yes, because of Jesus, because he has redeemed us, the Lord is our God. What a marvel. You, dear friends, you know in whom you believe, for he has paid that price to ransom you. He, and just like with the people of Israel, we in no way deserved this at all. It is all because of his grace, his love, that we do not deserve. For we too are stiff-necked sinners. And yet, Jesus came for you and for me. He came because that is what God had promised. And this good news changes us. What great grace. He gave us that goodness that we in no way deserve and took our evil on himself to die in our place. He is the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, dear friends, you too know him. You know him as your God, your Lord, your Savior, for that is who he is. You know in whom you believe. You know it in your heart. Let it show in your lives as well. For you know the great love that God has shown to you. And that fervent love that God has shown to you and me in Christ Jesus ignites love in our hearts. And that's what Moses talks about here in the next verse when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Yes, you know the love from God that did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. So that moves us to love him with our entire being. That, that's what that, that repetition gets at. With all your heart. Yes, for, for in the Bible, heart means not only your feelings, but your entire inner being, your, your mind and your will, as well as your emotions. And that same thought is reinforced when it says all your soul, all that, uh, that, that inner life that drives you on. And when it says to do it with all your strength, that means to the utmost degree, leaving nothing out. Yes, when you know the love of God in Christ Jesus, that fills us on the inside so that we cannot help but showing it on the outside by wearing our faith on our sleeves. So we too confess that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is one God with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our only Savior, 
We know Him as our Savior. We know His great love. And so we show that love in our lives, wearing our faith on our sleeves. For we know in our hearts in whom we believe. And as we wear our faith on our sleeves, that also affects the people around us. We wear our faith on our sleeves because in our hearts we know the one in whom we believe in, as we've talked about in part one. But we also do it so that in our lives that faith is passed on to the next generation. That's the second part we want to think about here. For you see, it only takes one generation for faith to die out. Sometimes that's hard for us to realize just how quickly people forget. And and maybe some way to illustrate that is is to remember what today is, the 10th anniversary of. No doubt most of you here can tell me where you were 10 years ago when you heard about the uh, planes flying into the Twin Towers and the terrorist attack. That's something that we, who lived through it, will remember for the rest of our lives. And we've seen its aftermath in our country as well as how it took even young men and women from our own homes to fight in foreign wars. But will the children not yet born think about that event in the same way we do? So easy to forget. And and maybe a way that illustrates that is how many are you are you how many of you are moved by the cry Remember the Maine. For most of us, that phrase is probably meaningless. If you're up on your history, maybe have some idea of how that phrase got America involved in the Spanish-American War a little over 100 years ago. But even if you know what it means, it doesn't move you to action like it did back then. We can so easily forget And it can take just a generation or so for something that seems so meaningful to die out. We don't want that to happen to the faith that we want to pass on to our children, now do we? We want that faith in Jesus Christ that powerfully moves us to also move them. We don't want them to think that learning about Jesus And the facts of his life is like learning about the events that led to the Spanish-American War, just something you file back in case you need it someday. We want them to know the power in that word of God that brings us Jesus, the life-changing power that moves us in our life day by day. We want them to know Jesus as someone more important than anyone else in their life. And that the events that happened on the cross and on Easter morning are more important than any event that we might uh, hear about, no matter how spectacular it may be promoted as. We want Jesus to powerfully move us and so that we and our children see that he is truly worthy of our worship, our time, our offering, our mind and heart, our body and soul. And yet, why will our children think that faith is so powerful and moving if faith doesn't powerfully move us in our lives? 
Yes. As we wear our faith on our sleeves, we're saying that this faith, this faith about Jesus is not just some knowledge in our heads, but it changes our lives. It moves us to action, to honor Jesus, and to hold his word in highest regard, for it brings us our Savior. And that's how in our lives we pass on the faith to the next generation. Notice how Moses, in very concrete terms, talks about wearing our faith on our sleeves so that we pass it on to the next generation. He says here in the text, as he talks about the words of God, he says, impress them on your children. And that word translated impress has that idea of sharpen that we talked about in the children's message. Keep your faith sharp using God's word. Not just once or twice or now and then, but every day, day after day. For every day, Satan and his allies are at work dulling our faith, so we need God's word again and again to keep that faith sharp. It's not just something that we send our kids off to learn about Jesus. It's something that they need to see that you do as well. That you want to keep your faith sharp as you study God's word, just as they do. Moses continues talking about God's word and says, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Notice how wearing your faith on your sleeve isn't just a Sunday morning activity that you take off when you leave the church, like you take off your dress shirt. No, it's an everyday thing. It's something we do whether we're coming or going, whether we're getting out of bed or going to bed at night. Live your faith day after day. Let the words of God fill your life continually. Moses continues talking about the words of God when he says here, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And Maybe this picture is closest to that phrase of wearing your faith on your sleeve. Let others see the Savior you believe in by what you do with your hands and by the choices you make with your head. When something's on your forehead, everyone can see it. And maybe connected here is that idea that often in ancient times, slaves were marked on their foreheads or their hands to show who they belonged to. That your words and actions show that you belong to your Lord, who redeemed you to be his very own. Let them see as you wear your faith on your sleeve. And finally, Moses says here, as he talks about the words of God, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Often what people read to find out whether Jesus is worth the time and effort or not, the first thing they read is not this book, but our lives, the lives of Christians, how we conduct ourselves in our homes and in our lives. What's written in your home by the choices you make by the words and actions you do, by the decisions you make, even by the decorations you have. What are people reading as they look at your life? They will see Jesus when you wear your faith on your sleeve. And so, dear friends, wear your faith on your sleeve, for you know in whom you believe your Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed you. 
And as his love fills your heart, let it shine out in your lives. And that is how we pass on the faith to the next generation as you wear that faith on your sleeve. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Be seated for the offering. 